This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Friday show, we've got another big win for men's soccer to tell you about as they went down to Miami yesterday afternoon and took out SMU, one of the top 10 teams in the country. We'll give you the latest outlook. It's all positive for the Bulls, who will play for a title on Sunday. Of course, we'll give you a little bit on the opponent for football tomorrow, SMU, a lot more tomorrow morning on our pregame show, which begins at 10 a.m. In our second block, we'll preview tonight's basketball doubleheader along with what's going on at the crowd with volleyball, and we'll end the hour with Around the American. It will be a little bit longer than the normal Friday, sometimes three- or four-minute version because we've got a full football weekend. In fact, there was a game last night. There's been a lot of basketball since our last conference outlook. And, oh, yeah, the rest of the men's soccer tournament. And remember, the NCAA women's soccer tournament begins today. The men will definitely be in it. It's not official, but it's official after what happened last night. We'll get there in a second. But just a little bit on tomorrow's opponent, the SMU Mustangs. You do know by now that they scored 77 points against Houston last week. Their quarterback, Tanner Mordecai, won all of the national awards, as you would have thought he would have, with that many touchdowns. They actually accounted for eight touchdowns in the first half alone with seven through the air and one on the ground, actually becoming the first player in FBS history ever to do that. Now, the Mustangs did slow down the pace. You know, they only scored three touchdowns in the second half, as opposed to the five they scored in the second quarter alone. How did that happen? You think about it, with five touchdowns in a quarter, you're just assuming, right, that there's going to be quick drives, two, three-play drives, one-play drives, quote-unquote drives. Really, it was the key short fields because Houston got picked twice on the second play of its drive. That's how you get 35 points in a quarter. SMU went eight plays for 68 yards, took less than three minutes. Eight plays for just 27 yards, took 245. Then taking over at the Houston 22 on the next drive after the second pick, they only needed to go 22 yards. And then a three-play, 62-yard drive and 113. And finally, they end the half needing just 44 seconds to go 63 yards on five plays. And just for good measure, they take over in the third quarter and slow it down a little bit. 11-play drive, 75 yards. That took a whopping 3.06 off the clock. They actually did punt in this game. You know that the Bulls did not force a punt last week against Temple. Believe it or not, the Mustangs did punt one time in this contest but that was it this was the beginning statement from their head coach Rhett Lashley afterwards I'm not really sure what to say Um, (laughs) I hadn't seen anything like that before just really proud of our guys to get in a win Um, this game's important to us you know SMU and Houston it's a great rivalry Um, we've been able to get them what three of the last four times they have a great ball club Dana does a good job man and they got an incredible quarterback incredible receivers um as you can see all night long. We just kind of, I kind of knew Thursday morning we were going to win the game. I just did. Uh, knew our guys were ready to play. We talked about it. We had a lot of confidence coming into today. Um, can't say enough about Tanner Mordecai and how he played. And, I mean, Tyler Levine and really the whole guys up front on offense. And it, it's obvious the difference in the game was three turnovers to zero. And uh, we ran the ball 46 times for 263. They only ran it 17 times. You know, they had to drop back to pass 54 times. We only had to drop back to pass 37. 
I don't think we gave up a true sack. I was told maybe one was in the stack column, but we didn't give up a real sack. No small thing. He mentioned the run game, which was impressive as well. It wasn't, believe it or not, just a throwing affair. Clayton Toon, by the way, on the other side, went for 527, but as you heard, they were just in drop-back mode all night long. If you're wondering what the Houston standout receiver Tank Dell did, 13 catches, 180 yards. SMU has one of the nation's top receivers. In fact, he leads the country in yards. I guess that makes him one of the nation's top receivers, Rasheed Rice. He went for 9 and 86 in that game. But they also got 146 yards and three touchdowns on 25 carries from Tyler Levine, who hasn't always been their top running back, but has been lately. Rhett Lashley, by the way, returned to SMU after being an assistant coach in Miami. He had helped SMU's offense sort of get going underneath Sonny Dykes. And then at Miami, they jumped up in the national rankings about 50 spots. Anywhere he's been, basically, he has been up for the Broyles Award as the top coordinator in the country. Four different schools, Arkansas State, Auburn, SMU, and Miami, he was nominated for that Broyles Award. Now, as good as their offense has been, and he mentioned the offensive line, they've got four regulars back, so that's helped them out. They have dropped some games, although they certainly had a chance in all the games they lost. They opened up rolling North Texas 48-10, doing the same to Lamar 45-16. Then they went to Maryland and had a 13-3 lead and really had an opportunity to put it away up seven but missed a field goal, a longer field goal, and their freshman kicker has been really good, Colin Rogers. He's made all 40-plus of his PATs and 10 of 12 on field goals, but the only two misses were long, and that was a chance to essentially put Maryland away. Then they gave up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and lost at 34-27. Turned around and lost to TCU, which, as we know, is a top four in the CPF right now. That was a 42-34 to loss where TCU just had a little bit too much firepower. Then after that, the trip to Orlando saw the Mustangs leading 13-10, to but they suffered from three turnovers in the second half, so that was really the game where their offense didn't do much. They followed that up with a win against Navy, 40-34. to All four Mordecai's TDs, including a 60-yard touchdown run, went for 20-plus. That's the thing. They've got 30-plus 30-yard plays called explosive plays this year, and that leads the country as far as 30-yard-plus plays. So they beat Navy, and really Navy scored two touchdowns in the final two and a half, so 40-34 was a little misleading. Then a chance, a real chance, against Cincinnati in Dallas, but they fell 29-27. SMU came back with 13 points in the last six minutes, had a chance to tie it with a two-point conversion, could not. Turnaround went to Tulsa, another Levine three-touchdown day, as they had to go with their backup quarterback due to an injury suffered by Mordecai in that Cincinnati game. Redshirt freshman Preston Stone was just fine. He hit Rasheed Rice on the first play of the game for a 75-yard touchdown. That'll get your confidence up. And again, like the Navy game, Tulsa scored two touchdowns in the fourth, so it was really all Mustangs. And then last week, talking about all Mustangs offensively, was the 77-63 win. We'll hear more from Coach Lashley along with Mordecai himself. And remember him, Nick Roberts, former Bulls secondary member, on our pregame show tomorrow. That's our other guys segment late in the first hour. Again, our pregame starts at 10 o'clock. In the second hour of the pregame is when you will hear Ernie Sims, who is taking over as defensive coordinator. Trust me, you'll want to tune in for that, along with Travis Trickett. Bob Shoot, Michael Kelly will stop by. He's been a busy guy this week, as you know, with the press conference and with the football radio show. And we're going to keep making it busy. Today, we're going to have a new, since it's Friday, Bulls Speed Ahead 
and we won't revisit too much the actual decision to let go of Jeff Scott because it's been talked about. But we'll get an update on how this week has been, but we'll also get a full recap of last night's Hall of Fame induction. Of course, Michael was there. I was not, so that's one thing I want to get the full scoop on. Paul Griffin, Quentin Flowers, and Erica Berger. We'll also get an update on his thoughts on the soccer team. I'll give you my thoughts right now. Unbelievable. They had already done so much with this four-match winning streak and putting themselves into a spot where, you know, all along, I mean, I'd go back to what I thought and who would have blamed me, I guess. They were 0-3-1 with no goals, and, you know, going into conference, it was, well, they just didn't do enough in the non-conference to have any hope for an at-large, so just get yourself in a spot to make the conference tournament and hope to win it, and that's your chance to get into the NCAA. From that to, they were probably in the NCAA win or lose yesterday. We still spent... And I'm glad to say I probably wasted about two hours of my life doing the research on the bubble. You know, looking at exactly what would be the case if the Bulls were to lose to SMU. I even neglected one possibility that we didn't have to worry about. And that is if the game had gone to penalty kicks in the American Athletic Conference semifinals. Because whether you know this or not, and this actually helped the women's soccer team last year. If you lose a game in your conference tournament in penalty kicks, it does not count as a loss by the computer's eyes, it counts as a tie that had to be decided. You know, you have to have a winner and someone move on. So even a penalty kick loss yesterday would have been fine for the Bulls. But you know what? A win is even better, and that's what they got in Miami against SMU. By the way, an SMU team that, again, was top 10, according to the computers, right around 10, according to the people who vote on such things, and a definite national seed. And let's even go further had beaten the Bulls seven straight times, including going back to the fall of 19, and I was there. 3-0 didn't give you the full story. It was just SMU dominated the Bulls. They got them in that 2019 conference tournament, same part of the draw, two-seed versus the three-seed, and it was a heartbreaking overtime loss for the Bulls. Then they swept them each of the previous two seasons, including the spring 21, which of course was the 2020 season pushed, there was a 7 nothing loss in there. The last time the Bulls had beaten SMU was 2016, so seven straight losses and a couple of ties prior to that. So they had to overcome that this season. It was 3-1. The Bulls gave a good account of themselves, but really didn't have a chance to win or even tie. So with that in mind, and knowing that they might still need to win to make the NCAA tournament, very, very impressive. They got outshot, but not many of those shots were on goal. In fact, SMU had 18 shots to 11 for the Bulls, but with that plus seven advantage, the Bulls were a plus four as far as shots on goal, seven to three. SMU had 14 corner kicks to the Bulls' four. In other words, SMU had the better of it from the general attack end, but in the finishing areas, a team that's really good at scoring goals could not do it. By the way, there were 32 fouls in this game. 32, along with eight yellow cards. In other words, it was chippy. The field was wet. It was a grinder of a game. And the Bulls were able to take the lead after about a half hour on a penalty kick. They'd only had one all season. By contrast, SMU has eight penalty kicks this season. So that just was not a way that the Bulls were used to scoring goals. But Julio Plata who's been big, he had the first goal against UCF a couple weeks back, got into the penalty box, got pushed. Yeah, he might have dead-legged it and fallen down just to get the call, but he got the call. And Alfred Perez, who had scored on the only other Bulls penalty kick all year, 
against Tulsa, remember, did the cheekiest thing against SMU's six foot seven goalie. You figure, well, first of all, six foot seven, you got to shoot low. Well, no, he chipped it straight down the middle and didn't put too much on it. In fact, the goalkeeper got a solid hand on the ball, looked like he was going to punch it away, but punched it backwards into his own net. You'll hear what Bob Butehorn thought about the penalty kick uh, selection there, but it worked, and the Bulls took the lead. However, SMU had a chance to tie it on a penalty kick. Same thing, by the way, probably even worse. Their player acting like he was way hurt than he was, Bailey Sparks, might have gotten clipped. Video review was actually used to show that there was a foul in the box, but he spun down and, you know, looked like he had a broken leg. Miraculously, two minutes later, he was moving around the field without a limp. Anyway, this was very interesting. Yesterday, we told you about Knut Islander, the offensive player of the year in the conference, 12 goals. He was trying to set the ball up on the penalty spot. At first, it looked like he was just screwing around, you know, trying to psych out the Bulls goalkeeper, Jackson Wyman. But he really could not get the ball settled. You want to have it if you're offensive player in soccer trying to score on a penalty kick just think if you're a golfer and you mark your ball in the green and when you put it back down you want it to be set up just how you want it right well imagine the golf ball just turning the wrong way and never feeling comfortable he could not get it on the spot it kept sitting back down whenever he thought he had it in the right blade of grass whether that was in his mind or not he missed wide left grazed off the left post Jackson Wyman did not have to make a save and the Bulls stayed ahead amazingly. I mean, SMU was cheering once the call was made like they had already tied the game, and here they go. Nope, they did not go. They went out of the conference tournament. What a win for the USF Bulls. They advanced to Sunday's championship game against FIU. Back to the beat. Bulls beat continues with Derek Sharp. Before we hear some post-game stuff from the victorious Bulls and give you the outlook for this weekend's game, Again, we will probably wait to start naming all of the names just because there's so many, and I don't want to you know, give you a bunch of details on one individual and slight anybody else. But in my email, and this is a privilege, i got to admit, working with the school, I get the basically green light emails as far as you can now comment on this committed bull who has their national letter of intent signed. You can't, if you're an employee of the school or representative of the school, as I certainly am, name names until they're official, until National Signing Day. And yes, I said I'm not going to give you a bunch of names, but I must mention one on the baseball side that I'm curious to learn about, as he was one of the new additions to the program yesterday, Blake Opie. Yep, I actually like that name. But yes, the talent, the future Bulls that will join for not this coming up season, but the following. Feels like baseball season is here, even though it's not, of course. doesn't begin until February, just because this fall has been so extensive. Fall is not like two weeks. It's more than a month. They've gone on the road. They played in Tallahassee last weekend, and I saw the entire team again at that volleyball match at the Yingling Center on Wednesday night. It's like they're omnipresent, and that's a good thing. If you want to head to GoUSFBulls.com, you can read all about, including quotes from Ken Erickson, all about the incoming freshman class for 2023 on the softball side of things. Like to see a few of those ladies actually from specifically Hillsborough County. So going with the local talent and again, softball and baseball get things going, even though they've been playing a full fall schedule, they get it going for real in February. And yes, I can't mention names yet, but 
when I can, wait until you hear a specific name situation when it comes to incoming women's basketball players. We'll get to the basketball doubleheader in just a second, but let's hear from head coach Bob Uthorn, whose men's soccer team wins its fifth in a row, and again, all against teams that were at one point in the top 25 this season. UCF in there, Memphis in there, Charlotte twice, and of course SMU yesterday afternoon to secure a spot in the AAC Finals. Look, I'm really proud of the guys. It, was one, it wasn't the prettiest of soccer games, and it was tough. The both teams were really trying to struggle to get to, to get something going, and they had some good chances. We didn't come out and play our best half, but we got a goal. But I'm really happy for the guys. They, they, they really worked hard and, and deserved the goal. I talk about, I mean, very fitting from a guy from Miami come back in and, and put the goal in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, he grabbed it right away. Um, maybe scared me a little bit the way he took PK, but I, I look, it's a win. And uh, and Jackson did, it, did what they needed to do. Our defense did really well. Um, and overall, it was just a tough struggle. This time of year, it's what it is. You just, the guys are on low energy and they're just trying to figure out how to win games. What do you have to say about Sunday? Championship game, one Right now, I'm just excited we're there, and I'm also really excited I get to go with these guys. The other voice you heard there with Coach was Mike Hogan, who was asking the questions, the sports information director for men's soccer, also for women's basketball. I'll be seeing Mike, well, pretty soon, as there's a basketball doubleheader tonight. He also had conversations with Alpha Perez and goalkeeper Jackson Wyman. If you want to check those out, go to the USF Men's Soccer Twitter page, at USFMSOC. The starting lineup, the same as it's been during the entirety of the now five-match winning streak. That has seen the Bulls again go from 3-5-4 and four to 8-5-4, and four, and certainly in the NCAA tournament. Same back four, and kudos to these guys. Going up against high-powered offenses and coming away with five straight wins. Well, Memphis, maybe not the high-powered offense, but you get the idea. Brian Schaefer, Nick Scargill in the middle. Left side, Sal Mazzaferro. And on that right side, after he had not gotten many starts in the entirety of his senior season, boy, is he making up for lost time. The full 90 minutes for Checho, Sergio Pinares Mayorga, and the fifth defender, the defensive mid, we keep hyping him up for a reason, played the entire game. That's Take Takere Mariyama. So the Bulls will go up against FIU, a pretty memorable time. They had the previous meeting. That was when the Bulls had lost an out-of-conference game to Stetson, a game that looked like, at that time, killed their at-large hopes, not that they had any at the time, or at least it didn't seem like it because the Bulls were well below 500. But the next game was a back-and-forth affair against this Panthers team, and the Bulls ended up tying it. Every time FIU scored a goal, the Bulls had the answer back. It was just wild, 3-3. Three to three. In fact, I'm sure we'll toss in replays of that game on Sunday, even though we won't have the match live for you now. Speaking of replays, we got a lot of good stuff from past football wins against SMU queued up for you. But back to Sunday's men's soccer championship game opponent. After they tied the Bulls, FIU beats UAB, went out of conference, beat FGCU. They had a big road win at Charlotte on the last night of the season, needed to beat FAU to claim the regular season title in their first year in the American and scored with about four minutes to go. Then they beat Memphis yesterday 1-0. More on that at the end of the hour in Around the American. FIU is playing for a national seed, and right now they're right on the border for that. If they win the American, the third-best conference, guess what? FIU is going to get a national seed and a first-round bye. Actually got one last year, 
for the first time in their school history, even though they lost to Wake Forest in the second round of the NCAA tournament. As far as the Bulls go, they keep shooting up the RPI rankings last night, got them to the number 30 spot. They actually took a tick down with a later result to 31, but they're in the NCAA tournament and win or lose against FIU, it does look like the Bulls will get to host a first-round game. They have the benefit of having some great facilities, and it just seems like if a team that ends up as the number three seed and beats SMU, getting to the finals, if they were to lose, they would still get the benefit from the NCAA Tournament Committee. Yes, on yesterday's show, we did the bubble watch just in case the Bulls lost. So had that happened, would last night have been kind of a nerve-wracking situation on the bubble? Uh, yeah, for sure, either way, but it actually went pretty much according to seed. There were a couple of exceptions last night. For example, in the America East semifinals, Albany upset Vermont. Vermont's going to the tourney no matter what, so you'd have to definitely make sure New Hampshire takes care of Albany this weekend. Don't have to worry about that anymore. The craziest score, we talked about the Big East semifinals. You wanted the top two teams to win, essentially making it so that you wouldn't have to worry about a fourth Big East team getting in over the Bulls. Well, Georgetown, the top seed, had to go overtime to beat Butler. So Butler is actually on the good side of the bubble still. And Creighton waxed the number two seed in that conference, Seton Hall, six to nothing. So now Creighton's ahead of Seton Hall, and you've got the two losers of those games kind of in the position that the Bulls would be in, just sort of sweating out this weekend. But don't have to worry about it anymore. Clearly, if you go to the latest RPI rankings, the Bulls are well in the field. Now the only question is, and I think the answer is yes, will the Bulls get to host a first-round game? And it would probably be next Saturday, if I'm guessing. Would love for it to be Friday because I could actually call the game. Next Saturday I'll be on a plane to TCU with women's basketball. But, hey, let's worry about the championship match first. Maybe the Bulls can win a conference championship. That would be fantastic. Speaking of basketball, tonight two games on USF Bulls Unlimited. We'll begin at 5.45 pregame, 6 o'clock tip for the women against Florida A&M. The Rattlers went 3-25 and last year, but in their opener Monday night in Gainesville, we're hanging with the Florida Gators, only down by 11 points going into the fourth quarter before getting outscored in it 24-7 and losing by the count of 83-55. to They actually held an 18-13 lead in the first quarter, before the Gators ended it on a 12-0 run. Dylan Horton led the way with 20 points. The senior out of L.A. used to play at Virginia. She was the SWAC player of the week three times. Again, they're in the SWAC, not the MEAC anymore. She averaged 16 points, had a 32-point game. So they've got some talent on this FAMU roster. However, depth is an issue. You can see why the Gators would have eventually worn them out at the end of quarters because you had four starters go between 36 and 39 minutes in the contest. And honestly, I'd never heard this last name in my life. The Bulls, I'm sure it's a coincidence. If it's not, that's brilliant scheduling. will be going up in their first two games against the Superots sisters. Can't make this stuff up. Ina Superots, a freshman guard for Moorhead State, got into the action the other night. And her sister, Yvette, played 36 minutes, scored 10 points against the Gators. She is a junior transfer from Ball State. The Superots saga. Hey, the men will follow immediately. Again, no pregame for the men's contest tonight, so it'll be a little bit different of a sound. We'll go right from our postgame to the men's basketball pregame. Might even have a little bit of a different scenario where we play the Brian Gregory pregame interview at halftime of our contest. 
up. The guys are ready. They're in Auburn, Alabama. They'll be on the air, they being Jim Lighthall and Joy Johnston, who, cross your fingers, make it back in time to get to Raymond James Stadium with no flight issues after the game. But anyway, they'll be there. They are there to give you the call of the Bulls against the Auburn Tigers. They're ranked 15th in the country. Junior point guard Wendell Green had 16 points as Auburn kind of slugged it out against George Mason the other day. Weren't exactly dynamite offensively, but man, we know how well their crowd travels based on what happened last year when the Bulls played Auburn at Amelie and, well, how Auburn traveled to Amelie Arena again for the SEC tournament. So it's going to be a difficult environment. Should be a fun one, though, to listen to the basketball broadcast from tonight. They beat George Mason in their opener 70-52. to And after we're done with women's basketball, we will head over and watch the volleyball team, and you can too, go up against Cincinnati. That'll be at 8 o'clock. Bearcats swept the Bulls when they met in Ohio earlier this season. But again, the way the Bulls are playing, if you throw away the fantastic opponent they went up against on Wednesday night losing to UCF, I'd say they got a pretty good chance to pull off a victory here tonight. That is going to do it for Bulls Beat on a Friday. We'll talk to you tonight with women's basketball. And oh yeah, by the way, they're playing again on Sunday. i got to mention that. That's why I'm not broadcasting the men's soccer team in the conference championship. It's actually at the same time as our basketball broadcast, but the women are playing Jacksonville. But hey, we're looking at it just like the cliche goes, one game at a time. So we'll fill you in fully on the Dolphins on Sunday. Also explain on tonight's broadcast how Florida A&M is 3-25 last year with a 4-14 conference record. I know, we actually can explain that for you, but you got to wait until the pregame tonight. Remember, our pregame tomorrow starts at 10 o'clock for football as well, so Monday's Bulls beat, as always, will be packed. Happy Veterans Day, of course. Salute to all the veterans out there. We'll have our salute to service as part of the football broadcast tomorrow as well. I'm Derek Sharp. Thanks for dropping by Bulls beat. Have a good weekend. See you around. Horns up.